Well, we are continuing the story in uh, Genesis, and we are now uh, coming to the place where Jacob is getting ready to leave. It seems like he just got there, right? Ready to leave uh, Padan, Aram, and Laban and, and begin to head back. Uh, and uh, so it's kind of an interesting story, and usually we, uh, we miss the big picture and kind of focus on some of the specifics, but we need to understand the, 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 the big picture of what's happening. So we're in, we're in uh, chapter uh, 31, uh, 30, I'm sorry, chapter 30. And uh, last week we talked about the birth of uh, the sons of Israel, and we said a number of different things about them, uh, <clears throat> about Leah and Rachel and serving the different years and so on. You know, something I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but it, if I did, it bears repeating, and if not, uh, we'll hear it now. Uh, so it's a win-win, right? And that is, isn't it interesting that this most important nation uh, in the Bible, you know, not just because we're here at Beth Messiah, but just uh, the, the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the coming of the Messiah, and, and all that, is focused on a family, uh, and, and I think that's very interesting that uh, you have the, this emphasis on the tribes uh, and, and, and who's descended from who. You know, it's not just a, a group of people that assembled uh, whom God called, but that it is a, a family. And that, is, that has far-reaching consequences uh, uh, in relationship, for example, in uh, the emphasis on family relationships in the Bible uh, and the calling of a family unit, you know, that in and of itself uh, is very important. The, 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 uh, the role of families, one might say, in the plan of God, you know. Uh, and the, for example, isn't it interesting that you read a lot about, even in the New Covenant, for example, about husbands and wives, uh, and children, and the relationship of husbands and wives, and wives and husbands, and children and parents, and parents and children. Why? Because when you go all the way back, you see the important role of family, of the family unit. When you look at the law of Moses, uh, a lot of the, uh, the uh, laws in the Torah have to do with men and women, children and adults, children and parents, raising children, personal relationships, things of that nature. Uh, and so uh, God, uh, in his design uh, of humanity, made the family unit uh, a cornerstone. Go back before Abraham and Sarah, right? You have Noah and his children. Noah, obviously, and his family. Noah and his wife and his children. And then you read about their families, right? And then if you go before that, you have Adam and Eve, a husband and a wife, whom God created in his image. He made them, right? Uh, and their children. So this uh, focus on the family unit uh, is very interesting in the Bible. And, and that is part of this, uh, how the text takes a lot of time to describe uh, the, mothers, the mothers of the tribes. Who are the mother? It doesn't just say, and Jacob had 12 sons, and here are their names but we read a narrative story about who's, who's who and, and who are the mothers. 
So that is very important, the role of mothers in the history of the tribes of Israel. Very, very important. Okay, so just uh, something to think about and recognize. Okay, all right. So uh, if we uh, go here to verse, I give you all that time to find Genesis chapter 30. I hope we found it by now, right? And uh, we begin in verse 25, after Rachel has Joseph. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart for you yourself for you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And he continued, Name your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you, have, you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when I provide for... But now... But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall, give, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flocks today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages." So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. Okay, so we'll stop there because if we observe the text, we will notice that verses 25 uh, 234 is a dialogue, right? They're talking to each other. And then beginning in verse uh, 35 to the end of the chapter, it's a narrative. It describes then what uh, took place, okay? So they have this conversation. Now, so uh, Jacob has been there for a long time. How many years has he been there? 20 years, thank you. Okay, all right, 20 years he's been there. Right? It's time to go. Uh, uh, not only did he wait 14 years uh, for both wives, uh, but then they have, you know, they, uh, they have children uh, as well. And so a long time uh, has come to pass. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, now Jacob uh, comes to Laban. Now there's a, there's a couple of things to notice here. One is, uh, is that we read immediately that uh, Jacob has served Laban, right? He has served him. He served him well. Uh, he's paid his dues. Uh, and Laban recognizes that be it's because of Jacob that he is blessed. Now, when it says that he divined this, that can mean a, a number of different things. I, it, it actually, the, the word uh, come, motse, it comes from the word to find, to find, okay? And so it's sort of like, uh, if we were going to use, I, I think, just modern English vernacular, 
it would be like, he figured it out. Like, I figured it out. So that's why you have, in diff- if you have different translations, one says, he observed by experience. I think, I think that's actually, I think King James says that, I, I think. I have, I have learned by experience. Or in another translation, I have observed the signs. Uh, or I have divined. That's an English translation. And it's as good as any. But, but I, don't think, I don't think the lesson there is that even in sorcery, you can learn something true or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, but he figured it out. Uh, that, uh, that he's blessed because of Jacob. So he wants Jacob around so that he can be blessed some more, right? So that's why he says, name me your wages, stick around, right? So there's a lesson to be learned in that. Jacob, in the text and in his life, uh, in, in a way, is a microcosm or a type or a picture of the history of the Jewish people, really. When you think about the struggles and you think about, uh, you know, the wrestling with God and and, uh, and everything about, about his life. Uh, that's why it is interesting that in the uh, Tanakh, the Jewish people are referred to as the sons of Israel, not the, not the sons of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Uh, or not the sons of Isaac, but the sons of Israel. That's Jacob. It doesn't mean the sons of Israel as the land, the land of Israel. It means the person of Israel, Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so there is this identification of, of the people with, uh, with Jacob. And uh, it should not be uh, a surprise at all that we might see that uh, Laban would be blessed by Jacob. A little bit later, we'll see in a, in a few weeks or six months or sometime, okay, we will uh, have another example. Of this, anybody know where that? What is that example of where uh, uh, a Jewish person, an Israelite person, blesses the people around him? Joseph, Potiphar's house, and the rest of it, right? Uh, quite clearly, we see again this concept of Israel being a blessing in the midst of the nations. Okay, it's not so much there. I will bless those that bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. It's not, that's, that's not exactly it. Just that God has his hand on, uh, on this people, uh, and uh, whether they realize it or not, are a blessing in the midst of the earth. And think about that today, right? Think about, the, uh, you know, whether we're talking about um, uh, research or inventions or uh, uh, a variety of... Uh, of, of things in this world that we would consider a good thing uh, and recognize that oftentimes, not always, of course, but oftentimes it comes uh, from the Jewish world, whether it's the Israel Jewish world or the diaspora Jewish world. You know, it really is amazing. Uh, most Jewish communities, for example, this actually, Columbus is a perfect example of this, which is a small, smaller Jewish community not a large Jewish community, but the, um, the influence, the positive influence that comes out of this community is far greater than the numbers of the people. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, you know, when, when, you, when you think about that, okay? Uh, and uh, and uh, I think it's important to recognize 
that that is, uh, that is the hand of God. Not based on faith, but based on calling. Not based on, it, it's not about being a, you know, being a believer and then God using you to bless others. It's like a, sort of a, a little bit different. And that is the calling of, uh, of, of Israel. It doesn't have to do with eternal life. It doesn't have to do with uh, obedience to God even necessarily. It just has to do with God's hand, God's uh, calling. Uh, and, uh, and so it's very interesting that you see that here displayed, like screaming off the page to us uh, in the life of uh, Jacob and then a little bit later on in the life of, of, uh, of Joseph. And, you know, it is interesting, and we, we say this from time to time, that, you know, in our history, in our Beth Messiah history, when we have met, we have met in uh, two uh, different, <laughs> two different uh, churches. We've met in two different, well, it was actually three, but then one of them went out of business. But, but that doesn't help with the point. <laughs> no. Actually, it became a real, actually, I'll tell, now I have to tell you what that is. Now I have to tell you that. Okay. All right. So the first two uh, uh, where we met, uh, we met there until we couldn't meet there anymore because uh, they, both of them grew. Uh, and, uh, and it was very interesting that we met there and they prospered and grew to the place where then we, interestingly enough, paradoxically, we had to leave because there was no room in the inn anymore. Right, uh, but it, but it is true in both of those cases. Now the third case was interesting. Okay, the third case was uh, we uh, first we had our camp, our first no, our second camp Yeladim, and then our high holy day services, and then we moved to uh, Hamilton Road, uh, and we were sharing the space with a small congregation that was planted by a large church on the west side. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then what happened, interestingly enough, is that the large church decided not to do the church plant anymore. And so their denomination was very, very kind to us uh, and sold us the property on Hamilton Road at, at an, old, an old appraised value when it was like cornfields, you know? So, uh, so that was an interesting, from their point of view, it was a blessing for them. And it was a, it's a very interesting little story in that we had to go up to Canton to, their, to the headquarters of the denomination. And so it was Elliot uh, Clayman, myself, Chris Cotting, and Jerry Husted. And uh, so we brought all of our like financial stuff and, you know, and, and we, we had prepared, okay, how are we going to say this? What are we going to do? You know, because they, they wanted like to interview us if they were going to sell us this property. So we go into this room, right? And it was like a, a big meeting room, with, you know, a big, long table. And, and you have these gentlemen sitting there and they were, you know, all dressed up. And we come and we sit down and, and they smiled. And all they wanted to know is how we came to know the Messiah. That's all they wanted to know. The entire uh, meeting was, tell us how you came to know the Lord. And tell us about your Messianic Jewish congregation. And it was great. And that's how we ended up with that property on Hamilton Road. So it's interesting. And in each case, uh, we see that that blessing came from our relationship. And of course, blessing goes both ways. Jacob was blessed. Jacob ended up with his wives and children. And, and, uh, and he was wealthy. And 
you know, and, 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 and all of that. There's the, there is also the concept of mutual blessing. That, uh, you know, it is, it, this doesn't usually get said in this context. Usually it's, oh, that Laban, you know, just like, oh, that Jacob. But the fact is, is that Jacob was blessed by Laban. Even though it took a long time, Jacob ends up with two wives, the maids, 12 sons, a daughter, and, and wealth when he leaves. So it's not like he was a pauper. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he came out in a worse condition. No, he doesn't. And that is an in interesting um, way of looking at this. Usually we see, even in life, that the a cup is uh, half empty, you know? And that, wow, he was there for 20 years, of 20 years of his life. And, he, and, and first he thought he was only going to be there for seven. And, 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 and he gets tricked by Laban and blah, 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 blah. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't even think that's the point of the passage at all. Just like the way we view Jacob. Oh, that Jacob. Oh, that scoundrel. Oh, you know. Uh, that, is, that is not what the Bible says. Okay? Laban is a very interesting figure. He's kind of like in the middle somewhere. Right? He ends up, he's concerned for his two daughters. You don't usually hear it this way. He's concerned for his two daughters his two daughters and their maids go with Jacob, right? And then he had, you know, uh, uh, I mean his sisters, not his daughters, his sisters, right? Uh, and then uh, he's blessed and, and he acknowledges it right here that he does real well by Jacob and Jacob does real well by Laban. Very interesting, see? Uh, and, uh, and so now you see that uh, now he wants to leave. And in, in that culture, he couldn't just say, Laban, I'm leaving. You know, leaving on a jet plane. Well, he couldn't say that in that culture, you know, uh, or that time frame. But he couldn't just leave. He had to get permission to leave. Uh, he was, in a sense, kind of like an indentured servant, you might say, uh, in that uh, a kind, of, uh, a kind of situation. All right. So we see uh, that uh, uh, Jacob... Uh, Jacob is a blessing to Laban, and uh, you know, and Jacob uh, has uh, gained great wealth and and blessing uh, blessing as well, right? So then uh, you see here that uh, Jacob says, "All right, here's here's what we'll do. Uh, I'll take the uh, the cattle that are mixed, basically. All right, uh, and and you take." Uh, and, and, you know, you'll take what's left, so that way it's like fair and square, and we'll leave, okay? Uh, and so then we see, uh, he says, and, and uh, you know, and this is how it'll be, that I'm not going to take what's yours, uh, as it says in verse 33, so my honesty will answer me uh, for later, when you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the, the goats and, uh, and black among the lambs, if found, with me will be considered uh, a stolen. So he says, so they agree. They agree on this. Okay. So very interesting. In verse 35, now we see Laban does something kind of interesting here, right? Uh, so this is where we see his downside, right? So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it and on the black among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days between himself and Jacob. And Jacob 
uh, fed the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban's thinking, okay, I got this nailed, right? All right. So then you see uh, an amazing thing takes place here. And, uh, you know, you can rationalize it. You can come up with uh, all kinds of uh, 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 genetic engineering uh, kinds of um, theories, but this is something that God says, as we'll see in a few moments, God says that he would do, okay? So Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. So they're like striped, right? So he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the, and the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. So evidently by the flocks seeing the, uh, you know, uh, these branches, uh, very interesting, right? Okay. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black and the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, it came about whenever the stronger of the flock were mating that Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. So when the flock was feeble, he, he did not put them in. And so the feeble were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, unfortunately, where the big 31 is is in the wrong spot. Because the story just basically continues, okay? Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what, what belonging to our father's he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah and his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude, that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. See? So what we see here is that uh, in this 20-year period, before the 20-year period, we see the promise that God will be with him, right, at Bethel. And now at the end of the 20 years, Jacob remembers... Is, not only remembers, he, it's been on his mind, but now he says it again. And so in the text, it's very nice. You have this a time in Padan Aram, and going into it, uh, you see God says, I'll be with you. And now he's still there at the end. He's, we're, we, the reader, are reminded that God is, is with him. And then he's going to have another experience uh, with the Lord in a little while. Okay. I, okay, so... Uh, it says in verse 6, And you know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Aha! However, God did not allow him to hurt me. So that's kind of an interesting statement. Jacob says he's cheated me, but, but you know what? He hasn't allowed him to hurt me. That's what you call the, the cup is half full right there, right? It's been 20 years. He's been cheated. It's been a long time. But he recognizes that God is with him despite the circumstances, despite the difficulty. What he recognizes is, I'm still here. I have my family. I have my wealth. God did not let him hurt me. Okay? 
He does not focus on the part he doesn't like. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at that time when the flock was mating that I lifted my eyes. This is very important. And I saw, a vi- I saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, or mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has done, has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So all that happens is from this dream that he sees that this is, the, this is God at work. God is blessing me with his livestock. And God is the one who's giving it to me from the hand of Laban. It's quite clear from the text that Jacob is following what God has told him. And that he realizes over this 20-year period that God has been with him. Even though, you know, he thought he was just going to get the love of his life, Rachel. But we know it worked out differently. It didn't work out the way he thought. Yet he knew that God was with him. Even in his struggle, he knew that God was with him. Even in the unfairness of it all, he knew that God was was with him. So it's interesting that his... um, proof that God is with him is not based on actually what happens, but on the promise that God had made him at Bethel. And so that is true for us. The promise is God will never leave us or forsake us. The promise is is that the finished work of the Messiah is is absolutely true, Uh, that uh, there is the hope of the future of resurrection and today the forgiveness of sins and and relationship with God, but there is no promise that everything works out just the way we think it's going to be, see? And that is where we often go wrong, and that is why when Yeshua uh, uh, enters Jerusalem, you know, they're singing hallelujah because they have certain expectations of what he's going to do. And a few days later, it's crucify, crucify, because he didn't meet their expectations. And often in our own lives, it's, yes, Lord, I love you, Lord, but then things don't go the way we think they ought to go. And then it's, I don't know, is God really true? Does he, what's the point of praying? What, you know, why bother? You know, that's not faith. Faith is not based on what we see, right? But it's on what we know and what we know to be true based on the promise uh, of uh, God. And certainly there are plenty of passages uh, in the New Covenant uh, to, uh, you know, to, uh, to back that up. And so... You know, what we see here in Jacob, Jacob is trusting God. It's amazing that Jacob displays this tremendous faith and trust in God uh, despite the circumstances, and he has a hope and faith in the promise uh, of God. And so in Jacob's struggle, in this aspect of Jacob's struggle, God is teaching him a lot of things, right? Uh, and things that we read about in uh, uh, a number of places in the scriptures. 
one of the great lessons that we see in this aspect of Jacob's life is perseverance. Persevering no matter what, right? Uh, And uh, what Jacob understands, seems to understand here by what we read, uh, that he understands the big picture. He understands that God has uh, promised promised him and given him this land and that his time in Padan Aram is not the end of his story, but it's part of the larger story uh, of, of his life. And that is very important for us. Think about that. When we know Messiah, we see that our life story is now huge, right? It goes even beyond our physical life, right? And so, therefore, no matter what takes place in our life, it's part of what God is doing in this world, in the heavenlies, forever. Not just what's going on in my life right now. And we may not even realize that our perseverance and our faithfulness may lead to other things and have a ripple effect in other people's lives and in varieties of ways that that we may not even uh, recognize. So it is interesting, you know, we read about perseverance uh, sticking with it uh, in a number of different places in, in the scriptures. You know, it's interesting, if you go to the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, and uh, there's a famous uh, parable that Yeshua tells, in, uh, but in Luke, we see it in a number of places, but in Luke, chapter 8, this is just one, one place, we're going to look at a few places. In verse uh, 15, about the uh, seed being planted in a variety of places. So, you know, it's kind of interesting when you, when, you, uh, when you look at this, uh, why not, uh, yeah, let's look at verse, uh, verse 11 of uh, Luke 8. Now, the parable is this. The seed is, on the, the seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes in and takes away the, the word from the heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy and then have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time temptation, in time of temptation fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And then notice, verse 15 is the seed that falls on the good soil. And the seed that is in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. That's very interesting. Okay? uh, So when you look up that word, perseverance, what does that mean? How do they bear fruit? This is the good soil. This is not difficult soil. This is not like something bad. This is the way you want to be, right? Yeah, we, that, of course, even when, and when you teach it or preach it or use it as an object lesson or anything, we want to be uh, the good soil that bears the fruit. All right. You know, like you think of like big stalks of corn or something, you know, or, or, or whatever. But notice it says, with perseverance. So that means... That even when we're the good soil, 
there is difficulty, right? The capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. Wow. So that must mean that if, uh, you know, if I receive the word of God and it bears fruit, it bears fruit somehow in relationship to difficulty. Now, you know, that can be a real downer when you hear that. Like, so maybe it's better not to have the word of God so there won't be difficulty, you know, because who wants a difficult life, right? See, the reality is, is that life is difficult, <laughs> okay? Life is difficult. Some people may live in denial of it. Uh, some people, uh, you know, don't uh, exhibit difficulty. But who doesn't have challenges in their lives? I don't know anybody who doesn't have challenges in their lives, right? Uh, the point of it is, though, that when we know the Messiah, what, those, what the challenges of life do is cause growth and not a dead end. See, very, very important. You know, it reminds me just off the top of my head here of a passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's a great little passage. Uh, okay, so, you know, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and it was, that was not a pleasant situation, right? He was chastising them in 1 Corinthians. It's like a letter of chastisement, right? So in this letter, uh, he says uh, that, you know, he heard about their reception of that letter, and it caused them sorrow, and it kind of made him feel bad. But then he realized that it had positive effects, so he didn't feel bad anymore, okay? So here, it says here, uh, let's see, uh, in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Sorrowful in this context is like convicted, you know, convicted of sin. And, uh, and so he says, for you are made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Then here, verse 10, the big verse, the point. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, deliverance, in other words, deliverance. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Wow. That's, that's a biggie. So in other words, there's difficulty in life. But when as Messiah followers, as we face difficulty and we face challenges, when we face sin in our lives, when we face regret about the way we've lived or done things or whatever it may be, when we recognize that God is at work in my life, it drives us back to him. It drives us to him. But the sorrow of the world, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. There's no deliverance. Just sorrow and regret all the way through. But you see, with the Lord, there is indeed deliverance because it drives us back to him. See? Uh, and, and so it's right along the same lines uh, as what difficulties do for us. So when we're the good soil and the word comes and makes a difference in our lives, it produces fruit through persevering through difficulty. See? And as you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, texts that uh, talk about this, right? Uh, for example, 
A real famous one is in Romans chapter 5, right? The book of Romans in the fifth chapter. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, through whom also we have obtained our entree, that's the best word to use, our entree by faith, our introduction by faith, into this grace in which we stand. Very important to read that uh, before you get to verse 3. We stand in the favor of God, okay, that we don't deserve. We stand in it, and we exult in, the, in, in hope of the glory of God. It's what we look forward to. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Ruach, through the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. And so hope does not disappoint because it's like our spirit agrees with the spirit that we are children of God, as he'll say in a few chapters there. Uh, and, uh, and so tribulation uh, brings about perseverance and proven character. You know, and uh, so very important, this perseverance very important. So another place is in Second uh, uh, Peter. Let's see. Chapter 1, uh, verses 5 and 6. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, like working real hard, being proactive in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Right? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord, Messiah, Yeshua. Right? So this issue of sticking with it. And then, of course, the, uh, the, the pinnacle of, I think, of these kinds of passages is back in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter that it's very interesting. It ends with perseverance. Beginning in verse 18, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's seeing the big picture. Very important. It's seeing the big picture. That the sufferings that I'm suffering now is not the end of my story. But the glory of God is the end of my story. I'm to be with God forever. Okay? So I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or you can make the case in us. Okay? Uh, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. This is all building up to something in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body." For in, now verses 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved or delivered, but hope that is seen is not hope. 
For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And so no matter where we're at on this journey, no matter what's going on on this journey, no matter how hard it is on this journey, recognize that God is at work and the difficulties, real difficulties, that we may be enduring in our life does not mean that God has removed his hand from us, but it means that God is at work. And when we embrace the difficulties and we say, Lord, help me, we will see transformation in our lives and, Lord willing, in the lives of the people that we affect around us. And so don't give up. That's the opposite of perseverance. Don't give up. Persevere. Hang on. Recognize that it's not what you see, but, the, but rather the promise of God, right? We live, we live by trusting God, not by what we see, as the Bible clearly teaches. Uh, and so, uh, like, uh, like Jacob, may we be people that endure disappointment, difficulty, fear, not knowing exactly how things are going to turn out, but recognizing that I know that God is with me. Right? Doesn't it just remind you of Job, right? I know my Redeemer lives, right? Uh, and so how true that is indeed uh, uh, for us. You know, it, just finally here, you know, in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, I mean um, Hebrews, book of Hebrews. When we talk about faith, the people that exhibited faith, right? The faith hall of fame, we like to call it, right? You know, uh, toward the end of the chapter, it gets kind of uh, murky waters. You know, you, you read about Noah and you read about Abraham and, you know, and others and, you know, and the victories that they had and so on and so forth and, you know, uh, great people of faith. But then when you get down to, like, um, verse 35... Toward the end of the chapter, about these great people of faith, look what it says. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So their approval was not that everything worked out in this world, but that they trusted God. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance. Endurance. Perseverance. Stick with it. One foot in front of the other. Don't give up. The race set before us. Fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, 
Let us be encouraged. Let us be like Jacob. Let us persevere. Let us trust God no matter where we're at on this journey. And we will see that what comes as a result of that is, yes, proven character and hope, but also peace and joy and strength and satisfaction, you see? And so may we be encouraged uh, by the life of Jacob. May we be encouraged and recognize that God was with him, even in Padan Aram, even in this faraway place. Uh, and God provided for him, even though it was a, it was a difficult uh, a journey uh, for him. But we know that our, our journey is not just about what we're doing in this life and what is good and easy for me, but that it has far, our life has far-reaching eternal uh, meaning. And so what is happening now, whatever it may be, is not just about now. It's about the big picture. And who knows how God may be working in your life in affecting others. So let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you, uh, God, that you have called us You've called us, God, to be your demonstration of faithfulness in this world, even though it might be difficult, even though, Lord, it might be uh, um, challenging. Lord, we do pray, God, just like Jacob, we pray, Lord, that you would make a way for us, that uh, you would part the waters of the sea, that you would indeed, uh, Lord, give us the desires of our heart. Lord, we do pray that you would bring transformation to our lives and to the lives of the people that we love. But Lord, I pray, God, for those of us that are, that are enduring difficulty, challenges, that we would endure, stay on the right road, the derech Adonai, the way of the Lord, the God, and that through thick and thin, Lord, you will bring us to the finish line. We pray that in Messiah's name.